Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We are before you. We proclaim the truth of this song. We are your children, and it is so good to be in your presence. God, we humbly pray for all those affected in the state, the country, the world, oh God, by this virus. It's not news to you. You're not caught off guard or surprised. And God, we're praying for your mercy, for your grace, God, to be poured out. We ask you, oh God, for healing and for all those not only affected by sickness, but by all the havoc that sickness wreaks, oh God, we pray against every plan of the enemy and we look for how you are going to work all things together for good. We praise you, oh God. We thank you in the midst of any and every circumstance. We're here today to raise the praise, God, to acknowledge you are the high and holy king over all things. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to everyone who's watching us online. I'm glad you're joining us. You're here. You're a part of this and you're joining whether and uh, what I'm curious is those of you that are watching online, did you dress up for this or are you in your jammies? I'm 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 you know that but I'm, I'm glad you're here. Uh, here's what I'd like to do. Instead of our usual handshake and hug and all that time of greeting, I would like to give a long welcome. I'd like to give my usual welcome. I'm just going to do it a little bit more lengthy, okay? So settle in. This is going to be a welcome, uh, but you're still going to get a sermon. So at any point where you're like, man, this is a sermon. No, it's not. You're going to get that too. I want us to have a little family meeting, church. Let's have a little family meeting, and then at the end of this family meeting, I want us to pray. Pray, uh, we'll, we'll pray through Psalm 91, which is our, uh, that, when I do a hospital visit, a lot of times I'll, I'll, I'll pray over Psalm 91 over a person, and I thought, well, maybe this is like a worldwide hospital visit kind of thing. We'll pray over that. And after I pray, uh, Brother Chuck is going to come and uh, have our offertory prayer. Even though we're not going to collect a literal offering in the usual way with the plates, I'll explain that. But right after me, Chuck's gonna, uh, Chuck Gambrel will lead in the offertory prayer, uh, uh, and, and, and we'll just uh, be part of our service that way. Okay, family meeting and then prayer. First off, I'd like to go over a little bit of this letter I sent. How many of you received my letter in the email? Okay, if you feel like you're not getting, that, that, that's good. That means you got a PDF from me in an email. You were able to open up my letter. If you didn't, take out your smartphone right now. And if you feel like we don't have your email address or we've got a wrong address or if you're not getting that, t send an email with your email address to info at colemanfbc.com. Info, somebody just texted me. That's funny. That's good. You know what? Airplane mode. Airplane mode. So, uh, <laughs> info at colemanfbc.com. And just say, hey, here's my email. Miss Carrie will get that in the office. Hey, just make sure I'm on the list and we'll make sure we get the best list because we're going to have to communicate things rapidly in this is ever-changing situation, um, and so we want to make sure that you get that information. The other place we'll post stuff is our Facebook page. So you get an email from me or our Facebook page. If you didn't get the email, or even if you did, I want to reread this letter and then, not, not, not in its entirety, go through parts of it again and then tell you kind of what's changed and what's updated because things are changing so quickly. But the first thing, and this hasn't changed, is this. May the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon each and every one of you. If you're like me, the first thing that you feel when you get this, these news reports, the whole thing's surreal. I mean, we're in uncharted territory. I, uh, 
uh, uh, uh, you, you, you like, is this, is, what kind of decisions that we're not, you know, I'm not familiar with all this vocabulary and these new words. So the first thing you feel is surreal. You feel shocked. But then after that, as a Christian, after the initial feeling of shock, don't you feel something else? You feel hope. Something else wells up inside of you. How great, you feel gratitude. How grateful are you this morning to know you belong to him? That in life or in death, we are the Lord's. That every hair of your head is numbered. He knows you. That we have a king who's on the throne and we can go to this king. He's not only a king, he's a good father. The only person who gets to interrupt the king at 3 o'clock in the morning for a glass of water is the king's own kid. And that's the kind of access we have before the throne room of God. So we thank God today for his presence and, and the power of prayer and, and the body of Christ. Now, the lost of this world, they don't know anything about that comfort. See, Christians throughout this time have something called the peace that passes all understanding. And all these names, it, they don't have that peace that passes all understanding. So the Who's Your One campaign is more important now than ever because they don't feel that. And they need to have that comfort. We remember nothing catches our Lord by surprise. And this world with its evil, injustice, sin, and death is breathing its last breaths. A new age is coming. And we hold fast to the promises of Scripture. As a church, hear me clearly, as a church, our first priority is love. Now, I'd like to say something, but I'm afraid I, I, I don't want to be seen as insensitive or come across the wrong way. I better not move that. If I move that, that's preaching. All right, let's put that, keep that right there. Well, it's just a welcome. But you know, I tell you, I, I, our first priority is love. I, I don't want to be insensitive. You've got to let me finish this whole sentence and put it in context, because if you rip this out of context, I'm just going to sound like a mean old curmudgeon. But I have gotten enough emails. You, you're our number one priority is your safety. You're a rental car company. Like, really? Like, like, like Marriott? Like, you're num you're, the number one priority in your life is my safe. The, num the thing that keeps you up at night, how's Tom Richter doing in Coleman, Alabama? I got to be honest, it feels a little disingenuous. You're no our number one priority is safety. Well, we are a church. You got to promise me you'll hear my whole context. Technically, our number one priority has not been and has never been safety. I want you to be safe. Be as safe as you can. But our number one priority is love. Our number one priority is the Great Commission. Because if safety, if the Great Commission were go ye into all the world and make yourself as safe as possible, there'd never be a missionary. There'd never be a martyr. There'd never be anybody who runs in to the trouble when everybody else runs out. You get it? Our number one priority is technically not safety. Now, having said that, I want you to be as safe as you can. Why? Because in many cases, that's absolutely an expression of love. It's love to wash your hands so you don't give germs to somebody else. That's an act of love. That's not like, I don't wash my hands, I trust God. No, you're being foolish, right? So we want to do things out of love. But you need to hear me say our number one priority. But isn't that great comfort? Because that if love is your number one priority, it can never be taken away. Safety can always be taken away. And then what? Then you're in free-for-all. Then you're in panic because your whole point of your whole life is to be safe. But our whole point of our life is not to be safe. The point of our life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now be as safe as you can while doing that. Did everybody hear me say that clearly? But our priority is love. Love of God, love of neighbor. What do I mean? Let's talk about love of God, and let's talk about love of neighbor, and let's talk very specifically what that means for First Baptist. 
Love of God will continue because God's people are always going to worship. The where changes and the how changes. There's Christians that worship in times of persecution, hidden in Roman catacombs. There's Christians that worship in big, beautiful cathedrals. That's not the point. But worship's going to continue, prayer's going to continue, and mission is going to continue. We have made this service available, obviously, all of our 930 service is always available online. It's available live stream. Many of you are live streaming right now. And we're going to continue to pray. And our support of missionaries will go on uninterrupted. This church will send every dime financially. None of that stops. We're not going to leave them hanging around the world. Our missionaries are going to be taken care of without interruption. Giving will still continue. What does it mean to be wise and the way we love God? Well, in terms of our corporate gathering, uh, you know, I'm learning all these, I'm learning all these new, new phrases. I'm learning sympathetic quarantine. I never heard that before. Uh, quarantine, it really feels your pain. Uh, social distancing, which was great. In the 8 a.m. service, I was like, social distancing? Hey, balcony people, y'all been doing this for years. <laughs> this is not new. Uh, but I got to thinking about social distancing. Uh, that really, if you want to be most socially distant in a Baptist worship service, the one spot that's never filled, really the front row. I mean, yeah, yeah, social distancing. But, I, but right, so you, okay, I get all that. Well, the CDC has made recommendations about who's at a higher risk for infection and about gathering. Best I can understand, if you take these draconian measures, like in other words, it's overkill. Why are we closing schools? Why are we doing this? You're reading the same stuff I am. I don't read any better quality news and literature than you're reading. But apparently, if you can really take draconian measures at the front end, it'll pay off in the back end. And so that's why we say, okay, we'll cancel Sunday school. We'll try to be wise. All Wednesday evening programming this Wednesday, we're going to cancel. What about next Sunday, March 22nd? Well, the situation just changes so fast. I'm not making a call on that yet, but I'm going to be like a weatherman. Isn't that great? you will be like a weatherman where you just make bold predictions and who knows, right? Let me say, can, can I do this? Here, here's what we'll say to everybody watching. There is a high likelihood that next Sunday service will be available online only. That we won't meet in a big group, but it'll be online only. There's a high likelihood. I didn't say for sure definite. I'm saying there is a high likelihood. So you got to make sure your internet bill's paid or, you know, whatever, like get, 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 or go over, everybody meet in one person's house and watch. That would defeat the purpose. Don't do that. Don't do that. Everybody watch it in your own room. Uh, whatever. Uh, the service will be available and we'll have corporate worship uh, next Sunday online is a high likelihood. Well, how are you going to find out? Near the end of next week, Thursday or Friday, look for an email from me and our Facebook post and we'll let you know, uh, uh, you know, based on, because things change uh, so quickly. I, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't pretend to understand that stuff. I just know they're taking it. They canceled NBA, that's one thing. Canceled March Madness, that's one thing. Schools, that's one thing. But y'all, when WrestleMania was canceled, I knew it was serious business. That's, it's not fake. It, many of you are watching this online because you took my advice. Uh, you, uh, you did not come to the 8 a.m. service, and uh, you, you stayed at home because there are reasons for that. The CDC says you're a high-risk category, and I just want to say that, that's okay. I, I can't stress this enough. Here's, here's why I'm saying this. If you were raised like I was, you went to church every time the doors were open. Um, and, and so you, you felt that. And there was probably a great tension in that. Uh, and the only way you wouldn't is if somehow you got the blessing of the pastor. No, you, you, you don't need to come. That's what I was trying to do with this letter. You have my blessing. You're, you're worshiping online. And you made the right decision. And that, that, that's just fine. That's just fine. Now, that's 
love of God. What about love of neighbor? All right, love of neighbor. How can we demonstrate love? Well, one way is trying to make these services available online and do all the social distancing and everything. Fine. We're trying to limit, minimize contact so we didn't have the greeting time, no handshakes. You'll notice we, um, the bulletins are in the pews. <laughs> pews, you know what I mean. Uh, what are the chairs? <clears throat> and... Uh, uh, we, you know, we wave at each other instead of handshakes. We're dropping, we're not passing the offering plate. You just drop it off um, uh, in the, uh, uh, it, as you leave, if you want. Many people give online already, that's fine. Good hand washing and staying at home when you're sick. That's stuff we do anyway, but that's an act of love. Um, so we want to demonstrate love in that way. We want to demonstrate love, especially in the days ahead, by doing what this church has always done, and that's caring for each other. <sighs> You know, we talk about Sunday school. We talk about getting in community and getting in Sunday school. You, here's where Sunday schools really shine. They check on each other. Hey, did you get the word? Did you get Tom's email? Hey, you know, that's so, so good. Do that now more than ever before. Pull out that phone. Use the text. Use the, all the different technologies able us to be so connected in ways. Continue to do that. If you feel you can't get out and get groceries for some reason or you're in a situation, call a church member. We're going to help each other. If you say, I'm not in Sunday school. I have nobody to call. Call a church office. We want to... More than ever before, this is an opportunity for the church to really shine. So we're, I mean, it, if you feel, for example, the, uh, the, the, the high likelihood, I told you the 22nd, but there's a 100% probability we are having food pantry March 21st. 100%. We're doing our usual food pantry. That's the day it falls. Falls March 21st. We give out food. That's still happening. And so that's an example. We want to, and, and do more, right, to help others. I've been told that the school systems, counselors, I got a call yesterday. I'm sure you, well, I say sure, you, perhaps you've seen on social media, there's some really practical ways the church can help with food needs with our school system as they're feeding the children while they're, while they're uh, currently out of school. So there are many folks you can contact about that. If you, I'll say this, because I know these, a lot of times they won't ask. If you're a part of First Baptist Church, let me say this clearly. If you have a financial need because you've lost hours at work or you can't put food on your table, you listen to me clearly. We're going to help you. We're a family, and this family's going to take care of the family. We're going to make sure that uh, uh, folks don't go without. That's, that's in the Scripture, to love one another, to care for one another. You call the church office, you let us know, and uh, we're going to do what we can to share. God has given us a special blessing you may not know this, our executive pastor, Scott Carlin, was the, uh, 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 I guess his title was administrator and education guy at First Baptist Church New Orleans when Katrina hit. He was David Crosby's right-hand man, Pastor David, and uh, got them through that time and, and all that disaster relief, stayed two years after that. And so I, I feel like in the providence of God, we have a special resource in Pastor Scott. He, he, he thinks in this way. He knows how to do that. So he's a resource. Wear him out. I mean, you, yeah, just you, I'm just kidding. I mean, don't use him up. <clears throat> We're going to try to communicate changes as efficiently as we can. Like I said, spread the word. Your Sunday school class can help spread the word. Hey, did you get this email? Did you get that? Now, I didn't want to do this. I'm sorry, students. We got to talk about school. We got to talk about homeschool. Because I know the American Medical Association of Pediatrics, I know the one bit of advice all of you won't follow, and that's screen time. That's out the window. So what are we going to do? Well, we got to get creative. Students, you always get summer break. Students, you always get spring break. But this free two and a half weeks off of school, listen to me carefully, this is more time off of school than you will probably have in your entire school career. You could so squander this. You could. But come on, there's only so much Netflix, there's only so many video games you can play. I know, you're like, try me, try me, right? I know. 
But what I'm asking is, let's devote a little bit of this time to some discipleship. Families, you got to do this. <clears throat> Pastor BJ, uh, Rebecca, our children's minister, Lori, they are already prepared. They'll help you. They got. The, the, I mean, Rebecca's already sending out all these family devotion stuff. It's time to go through those emails, dig them up. She can help you. Their resource providing for you. Hey, let's see. Well, how, let's get some family worship time. Let's get some devotional time. My family's going to have Sunday school right after this as a family. Right? I mean, we might do it in our jammies, but we're going to, why? Because we, this, this is on us. We're going to do that, okay? So, so, so what, what if this was a challenge? What if, the, I, I'm not saying they'll do this, but what if the student ministry said, you know what? Coronavirus challenge 2020. Who can read through the entire New Testament in the two and a half weeks off school? Who can read through the whole Bible? Who can do it in Hebrew? Y'all, we're going to blow. It's going to be great. Okay. I'm not saying we're going to do that. I'm saying let's leverage this. I already quoted my good friend C.S. Lewis in my letter, but basically he's saying, look, if suffering's going to find us, this is not new. H1N1 and swine flu and SARS and MRSA, and it's just the latest. But what are we going to do? What, if, if suffering's going to find us, let it find us at our post. If suffering's going to find us, let it find us faithful. And I want to be found, if suffering comes for me, I want to be found right here at the pulpit of First Baptist Church, shepherding my people doing what God's called me to do, and you do too, living out faithfully, being a faithful presence, and does the world need salt and light right now? Doesn't the world need images of Jesus Christ walking around, living, working, serving, teaching, caring, giving, medicaling, doing all the things that Christ would do if he were in your shoes right here today? Remember, Satan intends to kill and steal and destroy, but what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good, so trust him. God, in due time, will cause all things to work together for good, those who love him, those called according to his purpose. On Friday night, I was invited to speak at a Scott Dawson evangelistic event in Spartanburg, South Carolina. I didn't know if anybody would still go. I didn't know if they'd still have the event. They had 25 churches, only five canceled. They had to make some changes in the way they did it with the social distancing and all that, but we had the event. The minute I got up to preach, the band's done. It's an evangelistic event. It's time for the harvest. I get up to preach. All the power goes out. This was Friday night. And so I, I, I just told them, I said, well, power's out. So I just introduced myself to the kids. I said, hey, these are youth, 7th through 12th graders. Two things you need to know about me. Number one, my name's Tom. Number two, God made me loud. I said, can you all see Jesus in the dark? If I preach Jesus, can you still see Jesus in the dark? Yeah. Here we go. And I preached. And at the end of that message, I asked, I gave an altar call. And I said, stand. Stand right where you are if you need to receive Christ. If you need to receive, if you've never received Jesus, if you've never received Jesus, your Lord and Savior, today is your day. You stand right now. By my count, there may have been more. We had six young people give their life to Jesus. And that makes me think that when the devil is working so hard, it's because God is doing so much. He's nervous. He's frightened. And so he's using any means necessary to spread fear and panic. But we need not be afraid and we need not panic because what Satan intends for evil, God intends for good. And our primary mission will go on. Our primary mission is love. Love of God and love of people. And if our primary mission is love, love, our mission will not fail because 1 Corinthians 13 says, love never fails. Hmm? Well, I got to preaching. Chuck, please, uh, Chuck Gamble, you come be ready off toy prayer. As he's preparing, let's, let's bow. Let me lead us in prayer first. Let, let, let's just bow. God, we need to pray. We pray for those affected. We pray for those who are nervous and filled with fear. So easy to get caught up in panic, certainly. 
But God, we trust you. Psalm 91 says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the deadly pestilence. He'll cover you with his pinions. Under his wings you'll find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand your right hand. It'll only come, it will, but it will not come near you. You'll only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you've made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge. No evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague come near your tent. God, grant that we might continually remind our hearts and our minds and all anxieties and bring everything under your authority. We bring it now. We lay it before you and we confess you are our dwelling place. You are our refuge. You are our safe place. You always have been. God, grant to us this renewal, refreshing. God, you're doing a great thing. You're doing this, this movement in our church, the Hoosier one, and you're moving in churches around the, the whole area. God, do it again. Continue to move and to show yourself strong. We, your children, love and adore and worship you, our good Father. It's amazing how the Bible does uh, magnify the reality of one. When I was 16, I was someone's one. How will they know if they're not told? Pray that God would really give you the words to speak very clearly. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but power, love, and sound mind. We are called to give the reason for the hope you have. Because my friend invited me to church, I discovered that there was a father who loved me. I don't think we think enough about what happens to that person if they don't hear the gospel. And he is going to bridge that gap between himself and that person through you. It's just loving other people. I actually think evangelism may be one of the keys to living a spiritually revived life. So let me ask you, who's your one? Who's your one? Who is your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who's your one? Who is your one? Who is your one? Who's your one? We're in a series on who's your one. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, and we're going to start in verse 16. Turn in your Bibles or turn on your Bibles to Matthew 28th chapter, starting in verse 16. If you've been in church, if you've been around the things of God, if you're familiar with concepts like evangelism and all that, you knew it was only a matter of time. How can you have an evangelistic campaign? You knew that this text would eventually be preached on, right? Some of you I can say the last chapter of Matthew, the last verse of the last chapter of Matthew, you know, don't you? You know, this passage is so famous, it has a nickname. Say it if you know it. One, two, three. The great, many of you know, the great commission. So I thought the problem in preaching on a text that's so familiar, you know that, right, by the way, the hardest text to preach on are the ones that are most familiar. That's why every Christmas, every preacher wonders like, how am I going to make this fresh? Like there's always shepherds. Always angels, Jesus always gets born, right? What, uh, the Easter, right? He can't, he's alive, yep, right? So, okay, how do we make this text fresh? It's kind of like that with the Great Commission. How do you make this fresh? I'm saying some of our folks, you've heard about the Great Commission since you were in RAs and GAs. Some of you have been church so long, you know what RAs and GAs are, right? I mean, you, you get it. 
So how do you make this fresh? What's going to give us a new perspective on an old great commission? How can I do that? How can I talk in a fresh way about getting the gospel spread to the uttermost parts of the earth? How can we talk about getting the good news of Jesus into hearts deep within so that they then become a carrier of the good news and they spread the good news to someone else? How can we talk about something becoming more widespread and spreading every day? How can we talk about something that needs to infect others? It needs to go viral. It needs through person-person contact from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to China to Italy to Seattle. How can we think? Is there any image we could use to get our minds thinking about a gospel so widespread that it touches every tribe, tongue, nation, and language? And wouldn't you know, little Greek, little Greek lesson, little Greek lesson. The Greek word in the New, and we'll get to it, in the Great Commission uh, make disciples of every nation. Every nation in the Greek is panethnos. Uh, it means every, the nations, right? But there's another Greek word for people. Do you know what the Greek, what the English, where we get our Greek word? Uh, do, do you know what the Greek word for people is? I've already told you all. What's the Greek for all people? I've already told you all. All is pan. I just gave that away. Do, do you, know what the, you know what another Greek word for people is? I, I'll give you a hint. We get the word democracy, ruled by the people. Demographics, a study of the, whoa, a study of the, the people. Hmm? Do you want to guess what the Greek word, when you try to say all people, you want to guess how to say that in Greek? Pandemic. That's literally what it means. And I realized before it was a noun, it was actually an adjective, a pandemic problem, as opposed to episodic, an epidemic, some of the people, a pandemic, so widespread. And I thought, that's what we got. We heard so much about a pandemic disease the gospel is a pandemic salvation designed for all the people. So really, I knew we, I had to title the sermon. You had to, right? You had to call it A Tale of Two Pandemics. And they couldn't be more opposite. One pandemic, Satan sends disease to kill and steal and destroy. God sends the gospel to heal and save and set free. One pandemic comes and it, it makes you uh, sick and, and it infects you and, and thrives on fear. And spreads to more fear. This, the pandemic of good news, spreads hope, leading to more hope. One makes us, means we have to stay in our homes. The other sends us out boldly to the uttermost parts of the earth. One causes mass hysteria. The other brings a peace that passes all understanding. So we got to talk about this good pandemic. we got to talk about the gospel going out to the uttermost parts of the earth. And let us not forget one key difference. This current pandemic will pass. Amen. This, didn't the old timer say, this too shall pass? I had a middle school math teacher who said, this will pass. Will you? Like, pay attention. Okay. Like, <laughs> time will pass, but you may have to redo this algebra. You, you understand? This will pass. The gospel endures forever. God's word endures forever. So they're very different. But here's one way they're alike. In every pandemic, everybody wants to know where did it start? How did it start? What's the source? And so you trace back to a source. And so we know all the news stories about how this pandemic, okay, so you trace it back to this one province in China. Oh, okay, so we're going back to the source. Fine. What's the source of the Great Commission? What's the source of, 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 of this gospel salvation to all the world that's supposed to spread through all these disciples? Well, right here, here's the source. It started with a meeting on the mountain. A meeting on the mountain. And it must have been an important meeting, important mountain, because Jesus set not one, not two, but three reminders for his disciples to meet him at the mountain in Galilee. I don't know how they specified which mountain, but apparently they knew. He tells them in Matthew 26, this is amazing, before the death, burial, and resurrection, he tells them, 
tell my disciples, after I'm crucified, after I'm dead and resurrected, I'm going to meet with them in Galilee. Then he tells a second time to the women disciples, go tell my disciples I want to meet with them in Galilee. Then he tells them a third time, tell my disciples I want to meet with them. That's how it is. When something's important, we don't just set one reminder. We set multiple reminders, right? If I've got an early morning meeting, I don't just set my alarm clock. I set my phone. Then I set a backup alarm on my phone. And if my backup to my backup to my backup doesn't work, I get Jackie's elbow going, hey, it's time to make it happen, Captain. Right? You got to... How long have we been married? You have never said those words in all our, I know, I don't know why, I just thought it'd be hilarious. (laughs) We get, we get, it's important. It's so important that it gives them three reminders. Now, here's why I'm making a big deal about this. After all the disciples, come on, he said he'd, he said he'd die, he said he'd be buried, he said he'd rose again. They lost faith. Judas betrayed him. Peter denied him. This failure, this, this, this bunch of disciples, they made such mistakes. Here's why I make such a big deal about this. He still called them my disciples. They're still mine. I'll still claim them. Go tell my disciples I want to meet on the mountain. Now the 11, verse 16, the 11 went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That's worth pointing out too. That's where he first called them. In times of chaos, that might be a very wise thing to do. Go back to the place where Christ first called you. You remember where you were? When he reached down into darkness, he pulled you out. Hmm? That's what he does. He takes him back to the place where he first called him and said, I still have a plan for you. Now, who all came? Well, the 11 disciples. That's obviously the 11 minus Judas. But 1 Corinthians says he appeared to 500. So if I'm correct in assuming that the 500 were there at this meeting and they all saw him, that means the 11 were part of the 500. So there were the 11 disciples plus 489 others. And at the end of the commission, I'll go ahead and give it away. He says he's, this commission is good till the end of the age. Well, the end of the age hadn't come yet. So by my estimation, there's another group that was at this meeting on the mountain. Not only the 11, not only the 489, but every believer. You were invited to this meeting on the mountain. And so if you were invited to this meeting on the mountain, we better mosey on up the mountain and see what this meeting's about. Well, Jesus must have gotten there first because verse 17 says, and when they saw him, can you imagine, when they saw the risen Lord, victorious over death with the nail scars still in his hands and his feet and the scar of the spear in his side, they see him. What do you think they did? There he is, there's Jesus. They had the greatest worship service in the history of worship services. Look at what it says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. What? That gets me every time. It's the risen Lord Jesus, y'all. He was dead. They saw him dead. Three days later, I'm back. He's back from the dead. And so people worship, but there's still some like risen guy back from the dead. I don't know. I'm going to need more proof. Like what's it take, right? And I thought, how crazy is that? That you have a worship service with the risen Lord Jesus present and there's still doubts. I thought, that's not crazy. That's every Sunday. That's every Sunday. And how encouraging is that little, Matthew could have left that out. He could have left it out. Why didn't he? Because the Gospels were not about propaganda to make Jesus look good. The Gospels were about recording the truth of what happened. He didn't leave it out also to encourage. I believe it's great encouragement to me. It means I've got doubts. You've got doubts. It means Jesus was willing to put this whole mission not on the perfection of his followers. It means he was willing to use frail, fragile, weak, sometimes doubting Christians You bet. You bet he's willing to use you. That's the group he had. To me, that's very encouraging. And then, verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them. Hold on. I don't think y'all understood. 
risen from the dead, Jesus came and spoke to them. And here's what he said. Sorry, one more time. A dead Nazarene Jew who got up and walked out of a grave opened his mouth and said words. And here's what he said. Because see, y'all, he was dead as a doornail dead and a dead man got up from the grave and is now speaking to him. And here's what he says. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now that is not the great commission. That is the great claim. And the great claim comes before the great commission because the commission rests on the claim. The great claim is all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Translation, I'm in charge now. And I'm not just in charge up there. I'm in charge down here. I'm not just the absolute supreme commander and ruler of all things in the universe up there, meaning I rule over the angel armies and Michael and Gabriel. They all do what I say. And Satan and his army of demons, they too must do what I say according to my plan. I'm not just up there, but also down here. Every man, woman, boy, and girl, every square inch of this universe is rightfully mine. And I'm coming for what's mine. Actually, Technically, I'm sending you to reclaim for the king what's rightfully his. It means I'm not just Lord in heaven, I'm Lord on earth. Not just in, in, in heaven, but in history. Not just in time, but in eternity. There's no square inch of the universe. Philippians says, after his death, burial, and resurrection, what? He, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that above, is above every name, that is the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord, all the glory of God the Father. Things on the earth, things under the earth, things above the earth. Every knee is going to bow. Some will bow willingly and readily. You and I can't wait for that bowing. Others will not be willing. They will not be ready and they will bow. All authority. This is a fulfillment of a prophecy. In Daniel 7 it says the son of man, he's going to be enthroned forever and ever. Here he is. Here's the son of man enthroned. Prophecy made, prophecy fulfilled. This also interestingly neatly bookends Christ's ministry. In Matthew 4, he starts his ministry with what? With Satan tempting him. And what did Satan tempt him with? He says, Satan says to Jesus, if you'll bow, look at all the kingdoms of the earth. If you'll bow, I'll give you all these kingdoms of the earth. And this, this is Jesus slam dunking on Satan and swinging from the rim. Those kingdoms were never yours to give. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And he got to the death, burial, and the resurrection, that which Satan could never give him. He got it by going the way of the cross, not by going the way of idolatry, you see. Incredible claim. Let me ask you a question. How can he back up this claim? How can he back up this claim? I'm in charge now. As H.P. Charles says, if you have to walk around your house puffing your chest out saying, I'm the man of this house. I'm in charge of my house. I'm the man of this house. If you have to walk around saying you're the man of this house, he said, one thing is clear. You are most certainly not, in fact, the man of that house. <laughs> and he's right. If you have to go around telling everybody, I'm the man, I'm in charge. If you have to do that, you're probably not. So is that what Jesus is doing? Is he puffing out his chest? Is he, in, I'm in charge? Is this just bravado? No. How can Jesus back up that claim, all authority in heaven and earth is now given to me? How can you trust? Because you're about to go out and it possibly God will call you to do, to do incredible things for him, dangerous things. How are we going to trust that 
We have authority as missionaries. We have authority to go forth. We come in the name of the one who's given authority. How can he back it up? We'll do it quickly. But I find no fewer than four reasons why he can back up his authority. If you want to write these down, I can go through them super quick. You ready? Here are four reasons why Jesus can back up his claim to have total authority. And here they are. See if you can write these down quickly. You ready? Res a wreck Sean. Any questions? <laughs> the resurrection, y'all. That's how he backs up his claim to authority. Because this is not some prophet going, hey, when I'm dead and gone, y'all really need to listen to my teachings. This is, I've been dead and gone, and now I'm back. Let me explain something. If a dead Nazarene Jew gets up and walks out of the grave, I'll follow that man anywhere. You understand? He's alive. It's his resurrection. That's what gives him the authority. All my blessed little note takers are like secretly disappointed. I had four columns and now I must go. I know, I love you so much. You are my favorite. One more thing about authority before we move on. It's an interesting word. I don't normally do this, but I couldn't help myself. Another Greek lesson. There are many words in Greek for authority and power. This is fun. There is a, a word for power you've heard before. The Greek word dunamos. It, it's, we get the English word dynamite. It means explosive power, and it's used all throughout the New Testament for power that disciples have. And it's really cool, right? Dunamos, it's not the word here. The word here, all power's been given to me, all authority's been given to me, is not the word dunamos, dynamite. It's a different word. It's excusia. Excusia means authority. It means the proper and authorized use of power, of dunamos power. It's authority. And I can explain this. At every football game of the National Football League, at every game, three teams take the field. There's the home team, there's the visiting team, and those two teams are always at odds. Those two teams are not going to agree on anything. Why? Because this team's doing everything they want to do to go that way. And this team's doing everything they're going to do to take the ball that way. And at every single term, they're trying to undermine the other team. It doesn't matter. They are never going to get along. They are always going to fight. They're always at odds. And there's chaos in the trenches every single play. Those two teams, the home team, the away team. But there is a third team. The third team takes the field. And they do not belong to the home team. And they do not belong to the visiting team. They wear a uniform that doesn't look like the home team and it doesn't look like the visiting team. They wear these black and white stripes and they look like zebras. And this is the team of officials. Now, stay with me. They do not belong to the home team and they do not belong to the away team. They belong to the league. And the league, the home office of the NFL is 300 Park Avenue in New York City in Manhattan. And behind the desk of that office sits Roger Goodell, the commissioner of that league. They belong to the league. They are on the field, but they're not of the field. They answer to a higher authority. They have been given a commission and they've been given a rule book and their job is to take that rule book and to take that commission and to bring the order from on high into the chaos down below. Now sometimes this commissioned team is going to make a call and everybody's going to cheer. Oh, they're going to love you, church. Sorry, I gave away the metaphor. They're going to love you, officiating crew that represents something, some commissioned crew with authority. What could it be? Sometimes they're going to make a call and they're going to love the official. And sometimes an official will make a call and they're going to boo. The official doesn't care. Why? He doesn't represent 
this team or that team, his primary allegiance is to the home office from up there. He's in the field, but not of the field. They're not of the field. They're from the league. And so they have the league's concern at heart. Now, if they happen, if a referee happens to favor privately, if they favor a particular team over the other, it doesn't matter. Their personal preferences no longer matter. They are secondary to the fact that they have to bring the order from the league onto the chaos on the field. Their politics, hmm? Seems like certain political parties are never going to get along. There's gridlock all the time. There's a team of officials that represent a higher authority. And that's why sometimes you feel like you never really belong in one political party or another. It's because you don't. You're in the world. You're not of it. And their job, and a ref may have a particular political party affiliation. Fine. You know what? Their politics don't matter. Their job is to bring the order from on high into the chaos down below. And they're authorized to do it. They're authorized all right, I give away the metaphor. We represent the commissioner, Jesus Christ, who's put us on this great commission to bring order and peace to a world that desperately needs it. We've got a rule book. It's the Bible. Here's the difference. Jesus has excusia, not dunamos. Here's what I'm getting to when it comes to power and authority. Have you ever watched an NFL football game? <clears throat> Other than Ed Hockley, who is like ripped, uh, the players on the field are younger, than the officials. They're younger. They are stronger. They are faster. They are, are much more powerful. I mean, they're trained. These huge guys can move all this stuff around. Hmm? They can wreak havoc. The refs are older, slower, a little fatter, right? So at any moment, at any moment, dunamos, power, at any moment, a football player could knock a ref over at any moment a football player could totally totally overrun a ref a ref however has a whistle and a flag so the player can knock the ref out but the ref can throw the player out the ref can bring down the league the ref has a different kind of power and it's not through force it's through excusia you understand jesus has the dunamos he healed people he walked on water he's got the goods he's got the power but he also has the authority and that's what he's sending us out in. He's sending it out in, in our authority as representatives of the great and high commissioner has commissioned us to do what? Well, I've given you my authority. Isn't it good, church? The mission of the church is based on the authority of Jesus, not the ability of the disciples. That good news? Therefore what? Here we go. And now the commission. Therefore what? Therefore, go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, here it is. The key controlling verb in this whole, it's got several participles, but basically the point of this is make disciples. Make disciples of all nations. Make disciples, so you're going to have to go. Make disciples, because you're going to have to baptize people once they become disciples. But the point is make disciples of all nations. And not just, not just go make a bunch of decisions, not just get people to fill up a pew, but actually make disciples. What is a disciple? Good question. A disciple is a person who, by larger and larger degrees, as they go through life, they bring more and more of their decisions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Let me say it again. More and more, as you go through life, your decisions are more and more like your king, like Christ. You're coming under the leadership, the guidance, the, 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 the rule of Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? Therefore, they're consistently seeking to live under Christ's rule, increasing. And by the way, the reverse is also true. 
as you decrease in making decisions under the rule of Christ, a lot of people think discipleship, it might be about emotions or feelings. No, no, no. It's about your decisions. Are you bringing them under the lordship of Christ? Do your decisions represent Christ more and more or less and less? Now, as you make disciples, they're simple here. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I, I never know what to make of this word go. I think preachers can either make too much of this word or too little. Sometimes people make too much of the word go. They say basically the Great Commission is go. That means if you guys aren't right now getting on a plane and going to the other side of the world, you're all sinners. And you, if you haven't been on a mission trip in the last six months, what are you doing? You're disobedient. Oh, eh. To me, that's making too much of the word. Right? It's really as you go, make disciples. But then some preachers preach because they don't want to make that error. They make the opposite error. You never have to go anywhere. Just sort of as, as you go through life. Right? And they always quote this, always preach the gospel. And if necessary, use words. What they mean is live your life so good. And I always want to be like, and words are necessary. Always. Right? But I get what they're, I get what they're saying. But then you make too little. Look, 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 look. If, hypothetically, if I'm baking a cake at home, this is utterly hypothetical. Right? Already. This is beyond the realm of, okay. I'm making it happen, Captain. <laughs> if I'm baking a cake and I say, Hey, you happen to be over there randomly, I don't know. And I say, hey, go to the store and get some eggs. I don't have any eggs. Go to the store and get eggs. What's my point? My point is we need eggs. We don't have eggs. Go get eggs. I'm saying go to the store and get eggs. I don't really mean you could go to Publix if you need eggs. No toilet paper, but you get eggs, right? You get a, uh, you could, I don't care, you go to warehouse, you go, you go to, you go to Walmart, right? You, if, as you're driving to a store, I don't care, if you see a little sign that says farmer's market, a dude selling eggs off the back of a truck, right? I don't care, oh, it might be fresh, right? <laughs> Seems safe. So, right, let's do that. I don't, I don't care. My point is, get eggs. That's what this is. Go and make disciples. But the fact of the matter is, the eggs aren't here. So, I don't know if you're going to have to, some, for some of you, to make disciples, you have to go to the uttermost parts of your block, you're going to have to go to the uttermost parts of your driveway. Some of it, your uttermost parts of your living room, because they're right there in your home. For others of you, you're going to have to go to the uttermost parts of the state of Alabama. Others, you're going to have to go to the uttermost parts of the country, and some of you have to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. See? Just go make disciples. I don't want to make too much of the go, but I don't want to make too little. Go means go. And do what? Well, making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So discipleize them, then baptize them. I love this. This, this image, baptizo, to submerge, to dip. This is what they would have used for like a, an ancient dye maker. You had some, you had some uh, pink cloth, and you were going to make your little girl, uh, 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 sorry, you had some plain cloth, but you wanted to make a cute little dress, and you wanted it to be pink? Well, you'd take it to a dye maker, and they would plunge the cloth into the dye, and it would come in one color, and it'd come out completely marked a different color, indelible. You can never get it out. And there it was. You now had pink cloth. Or if you want purple, you dip it in the purple. You want blue, you get the idea. You're, you're being marked. This to me is a great case for believer's baptism. He says make disciples. And when you make them a disciple, you mark them. First you make them, then they're marked. How? Baptism. Back, baptism's putting the jersey on. It's saying, I'm not ashamed. Have you ever been, back to the football analogy, have you ever been to a hostile stadium and you were from the visiting team and you were the only one and all these other, they all loved another team, but you put your jersey on. That's kind of, in a way, what baptism, it's, it's saying, I'm not ashamed of Jesus Christ. The reason we do it publicly at the 8 a.m. and then we show it on these screens, we want everybody to see a person's making a very public, bold statement, I'm for Jesus. I, I, you, 
When you get dipped in cloth, you come out one color. When you get dipped in baptism, symbolically, that means your primary color is red, the blood of Jesus Christ. That means, listen carefully, that means your identifying characteristic as a Christian is first. The first thing you need to know about Tom Richter, I'm a Christian. First, ahead of your political party. First, you're a Christian. Ahead of which football team you love. Sorry, I did it backwards. Christian football politics. But <laughs> you get my point. The most above everything, above race, above I mean, in Christ is neither Jew nor Greek. That, that, that was his point. I've been marked. So discipleize them, baptize them. Let me show you one more thing in this verse. Baptizing them in the name, singular, and then he gives three pronouns: Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's weird. He gives one, he says, baptize them in one name. Then, then he gives three titles, three names. Shouldn't it be baptizing them in the names? No. Baptize them in name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Why? Because the three are one. The name, three in one. So uh, discipleize them, baptize them, and trinitize them. And do what? Last. Teaching. Teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Oh, that's good. Teach them. Teach them what? We're supposed to teach. What are we supposed to do, y'all? In the church, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to teach them uh, soteriology? Hmm? Theology? Are we both have a bunch of theological debates? I know. Maybe we could debate eschatology. Is that what it's all about? No. Teach them how to obey. Obedience. Discipleship is not about your head knowledge. It's about what are you doing? Hey, if you, look, if you've got to have, like, heart surgery tomorrow or some major serious surgery this week, you go for, what, like, a pre-op, is that what they call it? You sit down with the, the surgeon comes in, and he says, listen, this, this is a big deal. You know, serious stuff tomorrow. I know, you're nervous, so what I'm going to do, I'm going to go through everything that's going to happen tomorrow, start to finish. And he gives you the whole nine yards. He's going like, you know, to start here, and this, we're going to do this, and then we're going to change it, and here's the terminology for this, and your head is swimming, and you're okay, okay. It goes on and on. And at the end, they ask you one question. Do you have any questions? To which, you only have one question. You want to know only one thing. How many times have you done this surgery before? That's all you want to know. And one follow-up question. How are those people doing? <laughs> right? But seriously, all you want to know, have you done before? If that surgeon looks at you and says, good question. You'll be my first. I'm out. I'm out. I don't care. I'm out. I'm out of there, right? And you are too. Why? You'd be, thank you. Where are you going? Thank you. Bye-bye. We're not doing this. Why? Whoa, 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 whoa. You got to learn somehow. Like, whoa, no. And as you're leaving, what are they going to say to you? Yeah, I got an, I graduated top of my class in medical school. Don't care. I got all A's. Don't care. You heard my medical jargon. I know all the different terms. I don't care what's up here. I want to know what you're doing. That's how discipleship is. It doesn't matter. You can know everything. Are your decisions coming day to day? Are your decisions looking more and more like Jesus or are they not? You know, the, the grandma, uh, she's, she's looking out the back after dinner. She's washing up the dishes and there's Johnny, the neighbor kid, and he always does this. He's, he's like a vulture. He knows just when to show up, seeing if grandma made a little extra dessert. And So he's coming around the back and she realizes it and she loves him. She doesn't, you know, that's no problem. Get a little, little extra piece of pie. But she yells at him, Johnny, stop. Oh, oh. Grandpa just painted these steps. They're freshly painted. Go around the front. I don't mind you coming in. Go around the front. Johnny keeps coming. Don't worry about it. I'll be careful. 
Johnny, <laughs> go around the front. I don't mind you coming, but these are freshly painted steps. You're going to make a huge mess. Go around the front. It's okay. I'll walk around it. I, it's okay. I'll be careful. Go around the front. I'll be careful. Finally, she says, I don't want you to be careful. I want you to be obedient. Too many Christians are being careful around sin instead of being obedient. He don't want you to be careful with your sin. He wants you to be obedient. Last thing. It's the last half of this verse. If you're a note taker, I sort of did a head fake earlier and was, that was very cruel. I would like to undo it now. And I would like to give you three perfectly parallel things to write down that even start with the same letter. And you'll have a perfect outline upon which to hang this whole sermon. So you're welcome. Believe the claim, obey the commission. Believe the claim, obey the commission. Next verse, embrace the comfort. Believe the claim, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Obey the commission. Let's make some disciples, y'all. Now, embrace the comfort. And behold, I, even I, am with you always to the end of the age. And that's something Matthew begins, this whole story in the gospel by little Mary being told to name the baby Emmanuel. God is with us. And here Jesus saying, and I'm still with you. There is a... Uh, there is a, a, a famous illustration. Chuck's going to come and lead us in a time of response. As he does, this verse is so tender to so many people. There's a story of G. Campbell Morgan. It's a very famous um, preacher from years ago. He's, he's long dead, but he um, was given this verse to this dear old saint. Uh, she was going through her own sickness and near the end of her own life, and he said to her, he read this verse, the Great Commission, and he said, uh, read the words of Jesus, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age, and then looked at her, as pastors do, very tenderly, and trying to be encouraging, said, isn't that a most wonderful promise? And she said, a very showstopper kind of line, she looked at G. Campbell Morgan and said, young man, that's not a promise. That's a fact. That may seem like splitting hairs, that's a big deal. She's right. That's not a promise. It's a reality. It's a fact. He's just stating a fact. He doesn't say, I will be with you. Church, when you, hey, when you go outside today, God will be with you. When you go through whatever you go through this week, he will be with you. Yeah, he will. That's the promise. This is the fact. He is right now with you. I am with you right now in this worship service right now, in your living room, you're watching it online, in your den, where you are, wherever, listen to me, Christian, he is with you right now. He's with you. You feel him? You're not alone. You're not alone. Embrace the comfort. He's with you. You are, you are going forth. You are making disciples. You are joining me and so many others, right? We're praying for our one, but we're not doing it alone. When you come and kneel and pray for your one or when you pray right there where you are in your seat, either way, you're coming and you're kneeling next to Jesus Christ. He is, he is with us. It's a fact. It's not a promise. He is right now with us. Come what may, we are not alone. He's with us. Let's pray. God, as we take this third, I guess third week in a row, third and final week of an altar call for prayer, for intercessory prayer. 
God, stir in our hearts one more time to put this one right in the front and center of our focus as we're coming to you. We're asking God, do a great work. Save. Help us to be obedient to the Great Commission. Help us to be laborers in that harvest field. Those who are able and would like to and feel led, come forward and at this time, and Neil, join me here at the altar. Let's spend some moments. We've got some free, just some space here, just some time. Come and pray. If you're at home right now, will you just take a moment? Let's pray. Let's pray over our names. Let's pray over the one that God's laid on our heart, knowing that he is with us. This is God's time.